0: My name is Zakir Muhammad, and you are listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. This weekly podcast features women of purpose sharing stories of resilience. They are wives, artists, entrepreneurs, they run businesses, and here they will share their stories of how they overcame obstacles and how they're juggling it all. If you're ready to learn about professionalism, entrepreneurship, business, travel, life, and love, you're in the right place. You will hear real and raw stories of survival. Now it's your turn to be inspired to step outside of your own comfort zone. I am a cancer survivor, brand cultivating strategist, world traveler, and a professional photographer. I'm your host of the Living Legacy podcast. Let's get into it. Today's podcast episode, I get to interview Dr. Lulu, also known as the momatrician. She is a board-certified pediatrician and a mom with nearly 30 years of clinical practice experience. She has her own private practice in San Diego, Texas. She is also a keynote speaker for teenagers, young adults, bullying, and her, she specializes in high-risk teenagers. So she is of Nigerian descent. She came to the U.S. on a J-1 visa so she can study pediatric residency program at Howard University, the original H-U. H-U! <laughs> you know! <laughs> and she also was at Air Force um, in 2012, which is ironic because if you listen to my previous episode, episode five, my dad talked about his experience being in the Air Force. And prior to that, she owned and operated the largest minority-owned pediatric practice in Lancaster County, South Carolina. So, hi, Dr. Lulu. Thank you for being here.
1: Hello. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes. So, tell me more about what you do and why you do what you do. So, I think
1: um, it probably dates back to, you know, high school. I don't know, whatever. I just always liked children didn't necessarily want to be a doctor, but I just always liked children. So they're two different things. I wanted to be an architect my whole life. I, wanted, I just knew I was going to be an architect. And then my dad um, kind of was like, well, I don't know about architecture. Maybe you should do something more feminine, like pharmacy. I'm like, what, what is, what is feminine? No, I, if I'm going to do anything medicine, then I might as well become a doctor. So that was literally, and it was like, okay. And I was like, okay. You know, and that was it. So I went to med school and, and once I went to med school, I knew I was going to be a pediatrician. There was no question about the fact that I was going to do pediatrics. I mean, I like OBGYN and urology and cardiology just as a, being a student, but I did not want to No, I did not want to be any of that. Just kids, kids, kids. So I came to Howard after I finished my medical school for my residency, and then after I finished that, I just went ahead and started a practice, mainly because I had a J-1 visa. And with a J-1 visa, you get to go back home um, for like three years, and then come back. But I didn't want to go back home, I wanted to stay. So I started my own practice, and that's how I was able to get a waiver to stay. Because to be able to stay, you have to get a waiver to stay, otherwise the contract is between your country and the US and you're supposed to go back. So anyway, fast forward, I set up my own practice and loved it, loved it. But then, you know, when you're married, sometimes marriage doesn't work out. And so I got divorced and first of all, I fired my ex because he was my office manager and he didn't know what he was doing. Straight up, fired him and then I stayed in the practice for a couple more years and then I just, I just didn't want to stay there anymore. I just, eh. And so I was like, well, what am I gonna do? Or like, well, what am I gonna, so one of my sons said, well, mom, you know, grandpa was in the Air Force. I was like, yeah. So yeah, wasn't he a general? I said, yeah, he was a two-star general. I said, well, maybe you can be in the Air Force. He just said it as a kid. I was like, you know what? Maybe I can. So I was like, okay, why don't you check the Army, you check the Marines, you check the Navy, and I'll check the Air Force, something like that. And then it turned out that the Air Force was the only one, and besides the Army, who was still accepting people at 42. I was like, okay, I'm going to join the Air Force. And literally, I called the recruiter, Machimita King weekend that year, and it was 2011. I think. And then, boom, they signed me up. I'm like, okay. So it was funny because I, I came in, what they call a direct accession. I came in as a lieutenant colonel, which was like, what? Oh, you're a lieutenant colonel, so that means you're going to be commander. I'm like, Commander, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I see I have my high heel shoes are like that. I had long dreadlocks all the way to the back. And they're like, ah, oh, so that's going to have to go. I'm like, no! But it was okay because I had planned to, do, to cut my hair anyway. I wanted to keep it for five years, and it was five years. So I went ahead and cut the, the locks, not so much because um, it was time to cut it anyway, and it was it was it was good. So I cut the locks, joined the Air Force, da, 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 I loved it. But then it was you know when you're active duty, you have to kind of grow. So I did my Air War College, finished that, was ready to become a full colonel, which is a full bird, and then they were going to send me to Tyndall Air Force Base. I had already done Maxwell. I had done McConnell. Sorry, for those who
0: don't know about the airport, tell us what state these are in.
1: No, I'm in San Antonio right now, San Antonio, Texas. But I was going to say that I had already done Maxwell. I had done um, McConnell. And I was stationed in San Antonio. And they were now going to send me to Tyndall, which is in Panama City, Florida. I was like, "Eh, I don't really want to move anymore. And then my son was going into college. So the mama in me won the battle. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to move. I don't want to move. And so it was four years anyway. My contract was for four years. So I got out. And so literally I got honorably discharged and I was very happy. It was, it was a good place for me to leave. So I didn't cry. It wasn't too bad. I got in. I, I loved it. I got out. I'm a, I'm a veteran and I'm happy. And then the VA paid for me to go back to school. So I got my MBA earlier this year. So it was, it's a win-win for me as a person. And then as a pediatrician, I just started working with a big group practice here in San Antonio, and I loved it. And then last year, the 7 year old patient of mine hung himself. Now, he didn't die, but before him in 2008, I already had a 15-year-old who shot himself and died. Before him, I had a colleague, another doctor, who killed herself. So I was like, okay, between the 15-year-old and the seven-year-old, I had uncountable patients who were cutting, anxious, depressed, suicidal, being bullied, low self-esteem. So this seven-year-old, he, he got me though. I just, I couldn't practice one more day because I knew that there's kids out there who are hurting and who are possibly suicidal. So I quit medicine. I quit it completely. And I just started speaking. And so I speak everywhere. Schools, churches, events. Yesterday I was speaking at the Moms Demand Action Against Proper Gun Laws in Texas. And, you know, I, was just, I just speak wherever. And I love it. But everywhere I speak, people ask me, well, where is your practice? And I'm like, I don't have one. So what do you mean? We want to come to you and say, well, I don't have one. I walked away from medicine. Can't do it. And then eventually this year, this summer, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to start a practice, then I'm going to do one where I'm going to work with only the, the, the same kids that I speak about, which is high-risk kids. And so I asked the state of Texas. They're like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm like, okay, why not? So that's kind of how I opened Dr. Lulu's Youth Health Center, where I only see the youth, which is basically eight to 18. But last week, a cute little four-year-old came into my practice and came into my life and I was like, okay, I'll see you. So now it's four to 21 because I have a 21-year-old. Who wants to come see me? So my practice is, is unique because I don't have a front office. I don't have a back office. I only see six patients a day. It's called direct primary care, whereby the patient's pay a flat fee a month and they can see me 10 times a month, 20 times a month, 30 times a month, however long they want to see me um, and for one flat fee. So I like it because they have direct access to me. So they can call me, they can text me, they can FaceTime me. They don't have to call me, they don't want to, but anytime they need me, they have me. But more important than my patients, parents having my phone, the patients actually also have my phone I want the kids to call me if and when they're in a crisis. So if they're having a crisis at 11 o'clock in the morning, I don't want them to wait to call their mother, who would not call the doctor, to get an appointment to come in next week to be seen. No, I want to speak to them right now. So that's kind of, bad. yeah.
0: I love, the, um, I love the fact that you're accessible, and I also love the fact that you're affordable because a lot of the... Issues, especially with African Americans, um, is the affordability. Because a lot of people, once they have gotten over, because I think at least this generation or the year two thousand nineteen, a lot of people have gotten over the the secrecy behind therapy. But now they're like, okay, but how can I afford it? My insurance won't pay for it. Out of my job won't pay for it. So how can I get this? So I definitely appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you appreciating that because not everybody does. And you know what? It's a new concept. I get it. You know, once upon a time, Amazon was new. Once upon a time, Uber was new. So what you do is you come, you figure out what is the pain points. The pain point is people don't want to spend one hour in the waiting room. They don't want to spend one hour waiting in the doctor's office and they don't want the doctor to spend five minutes with them. So guess what? I fixed all of that. You don't have to spend one hour because if you have a 10 o'clock appointment, I'll be there at 10 and we're going to make meets. We're going to talk for an hour and a half and then you're gone because sometimes when a child is cutting and depressed and suicidal you need more not sometimes all the time you need more than five to ten minutes with them you do and so my practice is set in such a way that I mean you know you can come see me and I'll be there I will be there you know you know you don't have to wait for 10 one hour in the waiting room whatever number of times the waiting room you, have. you don't have to take time off from work. Because you can also call me because I also do telemedicine. So, I mean, it's a win win. It's a win win.
0: So, yeah, I definitely love you um, sharing it because it's actually reminding me of how I wish I had you when I was a teenager. Because um, when I was, it was hard because I, I will admit, it probably don't, won't talk about this until my book is released, but I will admit that I too have had super shy of thoughts. But because I was living life as a cancer survivor, because I was living life as always the only one, the only African-American, the only woman, the only Muslim woman, so sometimes it gets hard. If you or anyone else you know is considering suicide, have them call the 1-800-SUICIDE-PREVENTION HOTLINE. That's 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-8255. They may also chat online 24-7 at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. My question is, what is your advice for those who are, let's say they're aunties, because I know a lot of my listeners are young adults and may or may not be parents, but say they're aunties and they want to look out for their godchildren who are teenagers of the age range that you seek. What is your advice for those who um, are struggling and even struggling to seek help.
1: Right now, and I think in the African-American community, the biggest problem, and really everywhere, but more so African-American community, there's this stigma. There's stigma everywhere, but more so us. Let me tell you something. 2016, there was a study that was done that found out that African-American children aged five to 11, five to 11, are twice as likely to die by suicide than their white counterparts. Most people don't know that. So African-American children are exposed to, as you know, the worst of everything. We get the short end of the stick. So we're already exposed to racism, inequality, all of that. We don't need any extra from our family. We don't need any extra from our parents. Our parents should be the final frontier. It should be the last place where we go to get understanding and validation. Unfortunately, that's not the case. They make you feel like, oh, because I'm black, I shouldn't feel any pain. Because my son is black, he shouldn't feel any pain. He should be a gangster or he's whatever. He is a cute, handsome young man in the house. When he steps outside the house in Texas, he's suddenly a threat. Somebody suddenly is threatened by him because of him nothing else just for being a black boy so it's very hard to live life like that it's very difficult so no wonder they don't need us as parents to be part of the enemy so to say it's bad enough they get it everywhere i have a son who's lgbt he always credits me i didn't know this he was a guest on my podcast he said he's so thankful that his mother didn't judge me. I knew when he was nine months old that he was gay. I knew it in my heart. But he's my baby. I breastfed him for 21 months. I love him to pieces. His father couldn't handle that. But I did not let my son feel for one hour that he's not enough. Or there's something wrong with him, he's broken. Or there's something wrong with him. But African Americans, we struggle with LGBT. We struggle with depression. We were in trouble with diabetes. We struggle with high blood pressure. We say, oh, the doctor said I have, but, I, but that's not my portion. So we need to get past all of those biases that we have, all of those belief systems that keep us in our ignorance. Let me come, come out and just call it what it is. You know, you know you have diabetes. You're not supposed to eat that cupcake, but you're going to eat it and think, oh, my sugar or you know it's like you can't sabotage yourselves we do that in the black community we sabotage ourselves whether we mean it or not like girl what you mean you're depressed you're just just lazy or you just made that up no this is real but because of that we don't seek help from our family and we, we don't want to go to the doctor because we don't even have the support we need at home to go to the doctor. You know, you can take that pill all you want. The pill alone is not gonna help if you don't have the support system that it takes to take the pill. So it's like it's a combination of taking the pill, going to therapy, talking to someone who knows, and then of course, support from your family. That is critical. So if one piece of that is missing, it's not gonna work. Depression is not the reason why people die by suicide. Untreated depression is the reason. Depression without the support is the reason. Most people who are depressed, who are managing their depression, they're not suicidal. 54% of people who die by suicide do not have mental illness. So suicide alone on its own. I mean, yeah, it's not, yeah. People who die by suicide is not because they have mental illness when i was suicidal i didn't have mental illness i had just filed for divorce i had just sold my beloved practice i had just joined the military wait my ex-advent siphoned money from the practice i had to file bankruptcy that is a lot and then add to the fact that i'm a black female nigerian who's already ostracized because i've for divorce you know it's like it's a lot I didn't need to be mentally ill.
0: So what did you do? What did you do when it did get hard? What were some concrete tips that helped you when it did get hard, when it was tough? What helped you to really see the rainbow?
1: Well, I had to I had to accept it, though. I had to own the fact that this is a path that I'm going to that is not good. But when you go to a person and say, oh, you, you need to pray more, you need more Jesus, you know, they downplay it That's not good. I had to first accept that this is not good. And then I told my wife, and she was like, oh, honey, we need to get you help. She was accepting on me. And then we went together to go see the doctor. And then the doctor gave me the medication and the counseling. And then I had this enormous support from home. I got better. I didn't really have depression. I had a Heap of problems, heap of problems. Did the problems go away? No, but I was able to take one bite at a time at the problems. and have a different viewpoint of the problems and like I can attitude towards the problems. So for the aunties who are trying to raise their goddaughters, the same thing. If your goddaughter comes to you, here's the problem. Most kids don't want to go to anybody. So if you have been chosen and your daughter comes to you do not lose that opportunity do not miss that opportunity to make a difference don't say i can't believe you're telling me you're depressed what do you mean you're depressed because what you say is as important well as what you don't say if you don't know what to say don't say anything call the suicide hotline call the text the crisis text line call me <laughs> i do coaching and when i coach people you don't have to live in texas It's virtual, you know? But people don't know that, one. And then when they know it, they have all these roadblocks before they can get to help. And then at one point, they're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even gonna bother about it anymore.
0: And then they kill themselves. What else do you like to do? For fun, say when you're not with your family, when you're not at practice, what else do you like to do for fun? Do you like to travel? Well,
1: I'm an, I'm an author. I love to read and I love to write. So my first book is out. It's called How to Raise... I think I have it here. I don't know if you brought it with me. It's called How to Raise Well-Rounded Children. I don't know what I did with it, but it's called How to Raise Well-Rounded Children. The second book is almost out. It's called It's a Teen Life. That's about teenagers. I'm, I'm chronicling seven teenagers from different parts of the world who are dealing with different things peculiar to their own part of the world and then how you know they navigate that and then um, I have my own podcast so I love to do that I love to talk to people who obviously are depressed and have been suicidal or have a family member who's died by suicide or their doctor psychiatrist whatever and um, so my podcast is called suicide pages I love to work out I love to do physical fitness. I used to be a personal trainer. I used to teach kickboxing. I love to stay fit. I love dancing. I love poetry. I do open mics sometimes. I just do read some of my poetry, which is relatively dark because, you know, of what I do. I talk about bullying a lot of my poetry. Um, and, you know, I just love being a mother to my kids. I like to go out and just walk around downtown and just enjoy the... I love big buildings. I love architecture. Like I said, I was going to be an architect once upon a time. So I like to just take the energy of the downtown of any town that I'm in, um, and you know, walking is, a, is something that I've had to start doing because my knees are 50. So I like to walk. Um, if I can't run anymore, I just walk. That's my my way to exercise. But generally, I just like to do the stuff that people like to do, you know? I'm not a doctor 24-7, but because I'm an entrepreneur, I have to check myself that I'm not just going, 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 going with an entrepreneur. I have to take time out to do whatever, you know? A lot of times, I just watch a movie with the kids or we play Scrabble or we play Monopoly or we play, you know, Five Second Rule or Apples to Apples. When the boys come home, we, we try to, do stuff like that. I I live close enough to Austin. So I drive to Austin a lot. I love Austin. I love the energy. It's eclectic. It's cosmopolitan. It's freeing. I love Austin. So I go to Austin, Texas a lot just to kind of, just to get the energy and come back. So I I do like to do a lot of things, (laughs) not just one thing.
0: That's good. So you definitely would encourage, what would you encourage for those who, uh, especially women, uh, who are used to just going, 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 what do you encourage for them uh, to find that thing or those things that help them, you know, to, you know when the time get tough?
1: I think you have to always find, remember that, you know, you are the most important person to you. You are also a fairly important person to your kids. So you are the most important person to you. So you have to... Self-care, it's like everybody talks about self-care now, but really, that is real. Even Jesus, and I go to Jesus a lot because I know, I don't know about Prophet Muhammad, but I'm sure he also did the same thing. Jesus always used to get in a boat and go to a quiet place and just regroup.
0: And Muhammad would walk. Yeah, well, there you go.
1: I I didn't know that, but you see, that's what I'm saying. So remember to take time out for yourself. It's so important. You don't want to listen to that bully in your head that says you can't do it, and that's the worst kind of bully, by the way—the one that tells you you can't do it, you're not good enough. That's the worst kind of bully ever, you know. So, um, so, the one that looks like you, talks like you, goes to bed with you, wakes up in the morning right in your head, right there. So, remember to take to call a timeout when you get tired. Yesterday, I, I had the speaking engagement; I had a conference that we did this weekend. I got home yesterday, and I just. My whole body was hurting from my fibromyalgia. I took 800 milligrams of Motrin. I took a bath, I ate dinner, and I just slept till like 1 a.m. I woke up, I was on the couch. You know, I, that was how tired I was. And I just went to bed. And this morning I woke up, I don't have any pain. But I had to call a timeout for my own self and just say, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna do nothing. And it's okay. You know, what's the name of the guy that said that? I forget his name. The singer I say, "Today I just don't feel like doing anything." Bruno else.
0: Mars. <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. And yeah, so you just, you just, just don't do anything, and it's okay too. This morning, my my fourteen-year-old is the only one left in the house. His two brothers are in college. He got on my last nerve. You know what I did? I got in my convertible. I put the rooftop down. I was like, fix the wig <laughs> So my the roof, the wind. But then I needed the wind to blow and just cool my brain down you know sometimes and then when i got to the radio station i was ready you know so just do that thing which you know feels good and i was slamming some loud reggae. i listened to bob marley robert Nestor marley he was playing one love and i was just going this loud and then when i got to the stop sign i was bumping to my music because for me that helped me feel better when i got to the radio station i was on point you know but nobody knew that this money I had a little bit of a crisis, but I needed that to help me get to where I am right now. So do you, you know yourself more than anybody else. You know what you can't tolerate and you know, no is a complete sentence. People don't remember that. It's okay to say, no, I don't want to do that. And don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel like you have to explain yourself. Just say no.
0: Yeah, because I know a lot of women, especially if they are empath, they will say, I, I really would, but no. Are you sure? I- I- well, I can let you know later when you know your answer is no. <laughs>
1: yeah, and they will just say, oh, you know what? Okay, all right, let me do it. But, you, you know, honor your no. And the thing about it is when you say no, the person who, if they know you and understand you, they'll be like, you know what? Okay, it's fine. It's okay. Yesterday I had I was supposed to go to do the talk at, with the women, moms, demand action people. And my son was doing homework. He's usually my technological guy. And then my wife was gonna come with me, and then she was like, No, I just didn't feel like it. And so I got in the car and I drove and I went there. And when I got there, I FaceTimed my son and he helped me with the audio, get the mic ready and everything. And then I was able to do it. And then I had a friend who came and she videoed the event. So it's like there's always gonna be another option for those who you say no to. But if you don't wanna do it, just say no, because otherwise you're a liar. My, one of my friends who's a life coach, he told me people that say yes all the time are liars, because there's no one person that says yes all the time. And that was me in my old life. I used to say yes, 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 but not anymore. You know, I just don't say yes anymore, and that's okay. <laughs> That's
0: okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been great. All right. So how about you tell me where can we find your website and where can we find your social media pages?
1: So basically my first name is Uchenna, spelled U-C-H-E-N-N-A. My last name is Ume, U-M-E-H. There are like 19 of us on Facebook, but I'm the one with the pretty smile. So looks like me. Hey, there. Um, um, only a
0: few care, so I know the feeling.
1: Yes. Um, so, but my first name is, Uchen, and my first name is Ume. otherwise my business page is called Ask Dr. Lulu. I do go by Dr. Lulu. It's just easier to pronounce. And it's really my, my initials ULU. And I just put the first L in the front for love. And then I am on LinkedIn and Twitter and wherever. But yeah, if you Google the mom attrition, I'm the only one in the whole world my picture actually pops up. So do that.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time.
1: But you know, I do have to mention that I do have my podcast. I'm really... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it everywhere?
0: Is it available everywhere?
1: Yes. It's on 10 different platforms. So all 10. I think except... I don't know. I think SoundCloud is the only one that we haven't gotten on. But we're on iHeartRadio. We're on Stitcher. Tune in radio, something Google Play, um, iTunes, Spotify. Apple. Now you it's know. Apple
0: Music. We got to be able to know the difference now. Now it's Apple Music. Okay. Apple podcast, Apple Music. Yeah.
1: Okay. Apple podcast, Apple. But my bad. I'm not millennial. I guess I'm not woke enough. You know what are you gonna do? You know. But I'm on Apple. How about that? And then I'm also on really all 10. It's called Suicide Pages. I want people to know that it's called Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. I'm the only Suicide Pages, but go and look for Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. You see my pretty face there. And um, I have a blog called Words by Black Butterfly. So that's it.
0: Very nice. Well, I'll be seeing you online. And I'm going to be
1: seeing you also on my podcast. Remember, we're supposed to do that.
0: To do absolutely. Again. We got to make that happen. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, absolutely.
0: Thank you for listening to the Living Legacy podcast. Do you have any suggestions on a topic you want to be talked about? Send me an email or leave them in a review. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe, follow, and download so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit ZakiraNaya.com. That's Z A A K I R A H N A Y Y A R dot com.